0: Well, good morning, church. Are you ready for this? We're about to launch into a study, the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. And so, if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and just open them? The last book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is the title of that book. It is The Revelation. Sometimes people call the book of Revelation, Revelations, and that never has bothered me much because there are a number of revelations in that book. But the proper title is what you saw on the screen just earlier. And so I'll meet you there in Revelation in just a moment, just a few words about where we're headed, and that is we're going to look at what the future holds. How many conversations this week have you had with people who asked the question of themselves or of you what does the future hold? Should we buy property, sell property? What should we do with our children in these days? How are we going to educate them? How are we going to move forward as a family? What are we going to do in the next five, 10 years? There's those thoughts. What does the future hold? John MacArthur, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, said this, there's only one who knows. There's only one who knows and declares the future. And that one is the one who was and is and is to come. Help me out, church. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the book of Revelation meets us in the present to point not only to the future, but how solid it is based on what our Lord and Savior has done in the past. So, how should we approach this book? We're going to look and see how to approach this book. Because as I grew up in a church, um, I heard a lot from the book of Revelation. That might surprise some of you because I meet people who tell me they are scared to read the book of Revelation. There's a lot of imagery there that they don't understand, a lot of scary stuff there. And to be frank, this revelation of Jesus Christ is a revelation of the fact that He is a judge and He's coming back to set things right and judge His enemies. Uh, But it's not a scary book. It's not a scary book. And then, too, I was met growing up with a lot of fantastic information about the book of Revelation. A lot of which now is no longer in vogue because uh, some of the prophecies that I heard men make didn't come true. We have to be very careful about putting charts and pictures and diagrams together for the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation is not a fantasy book, a fantastic book. It is a very foundational book for our time now. In fact, I want you to be overwhelmed today and through this study with the realness that is exposed in the book of Revelation. What I mean by that is that as you study the book of Revelation, you're going to see just how real the Lord Jesus Christ is, just how real His plans for our future are, and just how we as Christians can live in the reality of His incredible leadership and sovereignty. In fact, today, if I were to say, this is what I'd like to do, I'd like to ask you to do this. Based on who Jesus is from this revelation, I'd like for us to live for Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. I would love, love for you to live for Jesus. I want a church that just absolutely says we live for Jesus. We pretty much have sung the sermon in so many ways today. But I want you, if you have your Bibles, look with me in Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Do you mind standing? I, I would appreciate that. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness of the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is the Word of God. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I asked a moment ago, how do you approach the book of Revelation? And I want to tell you, you don't approach the book of Revelation necessarily like you do every other book in the Bible, except in some ways you do. And what I want to explain is that many of the ideas that are false, that have come out of the book of Revelation from pulpits, have come about because men have approached the book of Revelation differently than other books of the Bible. In, in other words, let me say it this way, when we read a book of Revelation, we need to read it for what it is and basically not try to add or take away from it. We want to be clear about what the Revelation says. We want to then do what it tells us to do. Well, how do we approach it? First and foremost, let's look at the text. Look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, because I want you to write some things down, maybe write them in the margin of your Bible. Notice that this is a revelation. I know a revelation. It's apokalypso in the, uh, in the Greek. It is our word apocalypse. And when you think about the word apocalypse, what do you think about? Well, probably in our day, you think about the end of times, you think about everything blowing up a melting away, you think about nuclear disaster or whatever the case is. Kim Jong-un over there with a finger on a button and he is going to bring the apocalypse. That's what he told us this week. Is that what it is? Well, no, actually the word means to reveal. And so, when you think about the book of Revelation, you might think there's so much mystery, so much cloaked information there. I want to kind of bring your attention to the fact that John says in the very beginning, no, this is an unveiling or a revealing of the truth. So, when you approach the book of Revelation, you're approaching it saying, God, you're going to show me things that are true, not hide those from me. It is much about who Jesus is, and the more we know about this book, the more we'll know about who he is and how we should live for him. It's not a fantastic book in the sense that it's fantasy, not at all. It is very real. You may have noticed that I brought two books up here with me to the pulpit. I don't normally do that, and just so that you know, I actually just brought two Bibles up here with me in case you got worried. But this is a really helpful Bible, and one that my kids have been making fun of me for reading because it is the biggest story Bible book for children. But I'm going to read this. This is for my sake, maybe more for yours. You're much smarter than I am. I finished preaching and people come up to me, have you thought about this and that? I was like, no, but I wish I had. Why didn't you talk to me before the sermon? But I I like reading children's uh, Bibles and teaching children. When I get asked to teach children, I... I I shudder. And let me tell you why I do. I had to take these big abstract thoughts and boil it down to where a seven-year-old understands it. And if you can do that, I think you got it. That's why I think some of the best teachers in our church are the ones who are teaching third graders this morning because they have to take big concepts and bring them down to where a third grader gets it. This is what this Bible says, and by the way, I just want to read this to you. Again, it's more for me. Please don't be offended. I'm not insulting your intelligence. I'm not. I'm just trying to help you to see that I think children can get this book. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, is a letter called an apocalypse. That's a big word. It just means the Revelation is a book of revealing. It's a book that shows the past, the present, and the future through the pictures written with words although the book can be confusing the big idea is simple the big idea is simple god and the lamb sit on the throne and those who overcome all the trials and temptation of the world will enjoy eternal life with them in the new heavens and new earth revelation focus our attention focuses our attention on christ as our conquering king and on the church as his beloved people. Well, that sums up a great deal of the book of Revelation. And I want you to know that as you approach the book of Revelation, that we're approaching a a revelation of Jesus Christ, something that can be known. Notice the text tells us that this revelation was given from God to Jesus, revealed to John, through his angel, and now to us, his willing slaves, from his willing slave, John." This book is not about the Antichrist or things like that. The Antichrist is discussed, but this book is, the, uh, is the, it's the revelation of the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. John, who writes this, is the apostle who wrote the Gospel of John, the three letters, they're called epistles. He said, this is the Lord Jesus Christ who we have heard in First John chapter 1. We heard, we seen, and we touched with our hands. We're going to see revealed to us the real Jesus Christ. And not not an ideal, but the real. Is he ideal? Yes, but he's real. He sat down with his disciples and said, hey, after the resurrection, you guys fix me some fish and chips. And he ate. He's not a ghost. He's not just this ethereal ideal out there that he's… Uh, a force, he, he's, he's risen bodily, he's coming back bodily, he's real. I want all that to sink in for just a little bit. Uh, because this book is about what really is going on now and what really is going to happen in the future. We also see the purpose of this book. Uh, notice in verse 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show. You might want to underline that word show. Show what? Show those things that will come to pass quickly. Show those things that must soon take place. Now, maybe in your margin, you might write these words down. I'm just making some introductory remarks, and we're going to get into the message here quickly, but write these in your margin. The end is near. Maybe write the word near. The word near. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, stay awake, for you do not know what day the Lord is coming. What John wants to drive home is whatever is going to happen is going to happen quickly. It's coming about soon, and it's going to come about quickly. It's not only about the pace of how things go about, but he actually believes that it's going to happen quickly. So what should we do? Jesus said, you better stay awake. You better stay awake. And right now, for the most part, I think the church of Jesus Christ had been lulled to sleep. Not a lot of talk about the coming of Jesus over the last 10, 15 years until a pandemic hit. And then people asked, is this it? And I even heard a secular talk show host saying, maybe we are in the last days. What should we do? John said it this way. Since we have this hope of the coming of Christ, we should purify ourselves. Peter said it this way. Since we see all these things about to happen, we should live without spot or blemish and at peace. In other words, we as Christians don't need to procrastinate. Jesus Christ is coming back. We better be making ourselves ready. And I would also say to you who have not come to Jesus Christ in salvation and are procrastinating for whatever reason, stop. It's going to come quickly. Just this week… My little baby girl comes bounding in, puts her hand around me. She said, dad, she's so excited. What is it? Today was my last day of high school. <laughs> dad wasn't as excited as she was. What I realized is what I was told all of these years, it goes by quick, you better relish it. But even though you relish it, you can't slow it down. And if you are waiting for the time to come to Christ, I'm telling you today is the day. Do not harden your heart. Write the word clear. This is near, it is clear. The revelation of Jesus Christ about those things which are going to come is clear. Back in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy given to a guy by the name of Daniel. And Daniel wrote much akin to what John received in Revelation. So, all of these years before Jesus Christ, Daniel writes about a day in which there would be one who would have a kingdom. And it would rule all other kingdoms. And then he would go on to say, this one who has a kingdom will, have, will be a stone and it will crush every other rock or everyone else who raises themselves up. And then Daniel was told in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, as you receive this prophecy about those things which are coming in the end, seal up this prophecy, seal up this prophecy until the time of the end. There was a lot there in Daniel that for years people wondered, what was Daniel talking about when he was relating information about the one who would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the king of a kingdom, who would crush all of the kingdoms, and a stone who would crush all others, who would raise up against himself, and the one who in the very end would rule and reign. But you come to the book of Revelation in chapter 22… The very last chapter in this book, John is told, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book. Why? The time is near. In other words, because the time is near, I want everything to be clear. I want it to be clear. Verse 12, Jesus said this of chapter 22, the last chapter, verse 12, Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon. Is that clear? Behold, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So write down the word clear. It's very clear. And also write this word down here, H-E-R-E, here, as in present, because the rule of the Lord that we want to think about coming is already here in so many ways, And as we think about the book of Revelation, I don't want us simply to be thinking about that day, that day when Jesus comes back, and that day when a new heaven, and new earth is revealed. But I want you to think about this day in which our Lord is already the conqueror and the ruler of all the earth. In fact, if you read through the book of Revelation with me, you're going to find the word Nikeo, which we get our word Nike from, overcomer in the book of Revelation, 52 times, and which meaning this, we are victorious in Christ, who is the conqueror of all powers, principalities that would come against Him. And when He comes back, by the way, they're going to see Jesus with the crowns on His head, and He's going to have many crowns. You know why He's going to have many crowns? Because he's going to demonstrate in his coming that every crown on earth belongs on his head. So I want us to look at this text. I want us to look. I want us to listen to this passage. There, there's an importance to reading it, an importance to, to listening to it, and, and there's an importance to living it out. This is a revelation. It's a prophecy about those things which are to come. If you want to write this down, it's a revelation, an unveiling, a prophecy. What is a prophecy? Well, a prophecy is simply a word from God for us. A word from God for us. This prophecy, as we read from John, came from God to Jesus Christ, then an angel, and to John, and now to us. We have the word of God about that which is to come. But we also have here a letter. Look in verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, and then begins to lay out this letter. These are real churches in which this message has come. And so, in many ways, this revelation of Jesus Christ, this prophecy about that which is to come, is also an epistle. What is an epistle? Well, that's a letter or a message delivered in the New Testament to a church or a group of churches on a scroll in those days that would lay out the message from God through His servant, His faithful witnesses. Faithful witnesses would be given the Word of God. They would pen that, and then it would be delivered. And those epistles would be given in order that churches who received it would know how to live In the same way, this is the book of Revelation. If you think of the book of Revelation as just information about the future, it's just an unveiling of what's going to happen, then you're going to miss the fact that it is that, but it's more than that. It is also an explanation of how we ought to live as believers in this present time. So if you say, well, I don't know if I want to come and hear about Revelation because I need something to help me right now. You need and I need the book of Revelation. In fact, did you read this? It's a blessing to those who actually read it. So if you were to come today and say, I don't know if I want to hear about Revelation, would you read verse 3? Maybe you've never seen this before. Blessed is the one who reads aloud of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So, I've already determined that there's going to be a couple of hours that we're going to set aside at different times during the weeks over the next few weeks in the study, and we're going to just going to come here, and anyone who wants can sit here for a couple of hours as we read through the book of Revelation. Because that's how it would have happened In Asia, when this letter was put on a scroll and then delivered to churches, that the pastor would stand up or others in the church would stand up and say, Okay, let's read this letter from Jesus. And in about two hours, they'd have that letter read. And then they would have those who were listening. But there's a blessing not just for those who read it and just hear it. Surprise, surprise. The blessing comes from those who do what's in it. Keep what's in it. There's actually instruction. There's actually exhortation. And so, here is the exhortation throughout the book of Revelation in kind of a a big picture. It's to live in and with courage in the midst of a corrupt society. And you can overcome. Jesus said the same way at the very end of the book, I'm becoming And blessed, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This book, Revelation, is the final book given to us by God. There's no books to follow. This is the last letter written in the Bible, last letter in the New Testament. And we read in the book of Revelation, chapter twenty-two. Don't add to it. Don't add anything to it. This is the last book, and it's the last good look at Jesus Christ from God's perspective, as He's shown us who Jesus Christ is. It's our one last look before Jesus returns, and we get to see Him face to face. And so John said this, grace, look at verse 4 grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Jesus Christ is coming back. If that seems fantastic to you or outlandish to you, I just want to point out the fact that Jesus Christ has always been. It just makes sense that he would be here. He's not spun this world into existence and taken off to some other faraway galaxy. He is not powerless to come back and claim what is His, which is this world. He is now here, ruling in authority, and soon, very near, He will be here in person. Amen. You read verse 4, He says, I am, I am the one who was, Who is to come? This is a reference back all the way to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where you remember Moses asked God the question I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh. Can you tell me your name so I can explain to Pharaoh who sent me? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, Jesus here now is saying, I am that one. I'm the one who's always been, always will be. It just stands to reason. If he's always been and always will be, then he ought to be here present in this place, this world that is his own. So that being said, I want to walk through who this one who's being revealed is. Look what John says about Jesus. So if you're going to write some things down now… Here's some things to write down about Jesus. And you have here a seven-fold description of how great, how gracious, and how glorious is the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how great, how gracious, and how glorious is our Lord Jesus Christ. To begin with, John says in verse 5, and this revelation is from Jesus Christ. Notice how he explains him, the faithful witness. The faithful witness witness. He is the one who presents truth and always presents the truth. Do we need the truth in the day in which we live? Hello. He always does. Again, this is an allusion back to the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 89. God says, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. If you want to know what's going to happen to our moon, it's going to be here forever, and it's just going to be remade. It's going to be remade. Remade it's going to be renewed. It's going to be refreshed. It's going to be right. It's not going to be what it is now, but it's going to be something even better. And just like the moon that will always be here because God said it would be, my witness will always be, always be, and always be full of the truth. Here it is that we have a faithful witness. He always presents the truth, and the truth is about God. When Jesus was on the earth with his disciples, you remember he said this, I am the truth. And Pilate said, it's amazing, isn't it? And ironic how Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And then Jesus just said there silent because truth was staring him in the face. And if you look at Jesus, what do you see? Truth. Truth about what? Truth about God. You want to know who God is today. If you want to know who He is, you don't have to look at some ancient book from some man that received it from an angel in a cave. You don't have to look to some guru on a mountain. If you want to look to see who God is, you're not going to find exactly who He is in creation, although you might note that He is a creator. You're not going to find Him in the order of things, though you know that He's an ordered creator. You'll find God when you look at Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness about God. Secondly, this is pretty awesome about who He is. He's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is a faithful witness. He tells the truth about God, and He is the one who came back to life from the dead. This is God's plan, always plan. Again, all the way back in Psalm chapter 89, I think it's very interesting, by the way. 278 verses in Revelation reference the Old Testament. Amazing. A lot of the Old Testament is referenced in in Revelation. I'll point that out as often as I can. And here in Psalm 89 in the Old Testament, God said, I will make him my firstborn and the highest of the kings of the earth. That's the plane upon which I'm going to set him. I'm going to take my Lord and my son, and my plan is to set him up on the heights. How? By allowing him to conquer the worst thing that could happen to anyone. What's the worst thing that could happen to you today, by the way? Well, you might just begin to do some gymnastics in your mind, but I can tell you the worst thing that can happen to you, and you know the worst thing that can happen to you is you could die. And the worst thing that could happen to Jesus is that he died, but you know what? He's the one who said this. I was die- I was dead, now I'm alive. Look at me in verse 18 of chapter 1. I'm the living one. I'm the living one. He meant that I'm the always living one, and I died, and behold, I'm alive. And how long? Forevermore. Guys. This is is what Paul said when he said this about Jesus, that death has no more dominion over him. The very worst thing that could happen to our Lord happened, and now he is alive and it can't happen to him anymore. And why is that good news? Because he is my Lord, and I died and have been raised with him, and therefore the worst thing that could ever happen to me has already happened. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna, unless Jesus comes back, die. But what did Jesus say to the sisters of Lazarus? Though he were dead, yet shall he live. This is good news, y'all. This isn't just, just about, hey, what's going to happen in the future, and what is the mark of the beast, and who's the Antichrist? And is, is it Elon Musk? And I, I mean, are we, what's going to happen when we're on, having on streets of gold? And what what we're seeing here today is that our Lord is here, and He's already given us great hope that the worst thing that could happen to us has already been defeated. That's our current reality. Jesus is the one who's come back from the dead. Look again at verse 5. He is the king and ruler of all the kings on the earth. He's the king and ruler of all the kings on the earth. Again, Psalm 89 is referenced here. God said in Psalm 89, My steadfast love will keep him who's him, my son, forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. Our Lord is the ruler of this earth. He's the ruler of all the kings of this earth. We read this morning, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. We used to sing it this way. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This world is our Lord's world. And when I look at this world and I think, wow, this is an amazing world we live in. Now, I don't know about you, but yesterday I thought, wow, God, thank you, let me live here and see what you have made and created. But this world is our Father's world, and it's only going to get better when He returns. It's going to be renewed. You don't have to put weed and feed on your yard anymore, y'all. You don't just spray for bugs one day. This world's going to be without thorn and thistles. We're going to be in a world that is perfect in every way. There's no poison ivy. There's no jellyfish stinging us. There's no sunburn. Now you've got to go see a doctor to cut stuff off of you. God is going to take what is… We have an amazing world. He's going to take what is amazing and it's going to be renewed in perfection. Perfection. It's getting real now. I mean, this is exactly what our Lord's gonna do. And Revelation five, I love this passage. We're gonna to get to it. I'm just gonna make some just introductions now, but I can't wait. Like I cannot wait to get to this these passages where in Romans uh, Revelation five, John's looking up into heaven and, and, and everyone's weeping by because no one's worthy to take a scroll. But then John said, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Hey, what's that all about? Well, you can tell Russia, they can try to grab all the land they want. You can tell China, they can have all of the Pacific they try to get. You can tell Iran, they can attempt to have the Middle East. But that scroll says this world belongs to Jesus Christ. This world is His. Like when you look around and you're like, oh, I'm worried about the glaciers melting and the oceans rising. This is my Father's world. I don't want us to think, of, I grew up, man, this is my fault, but I grew up hearing all about the coming heaven and, and the coming new earth. And, and I would get these ideas in my mind that were so so so, so kind of sci-fi that and and I didn't realize how real this passage this text, this revelation is, this world is my father's. He's going to give it to his son and it's going to be perfected and we're going to live with him forever. How do I know that? Look at verse 5 because this goes to the grace of our Lord. Verse 5, to him who loves us. That's cool. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Let's look at the greatness of our Lord, but not just the graciousness of our Lord. He loves us. When you see this passage, you you, you have to see verse 17, because John's in the spirit on the Lord's day, on the Lord's day, on a Sunday, he's worshiping the Lord. And while John is worshiping the Lord on a Sunday, he sees Jesus and is responding the way anybody would respond who actually saw Jesus. He fell on the ground as if he were dead. Because if you see the one who is revealed in Revelation, that's the only response that you're going to have. You're not gonna run around telling everybody about what you saw. You're not gonna say, oh, my homeboy, Jesus. You're not gonna stand. You're going to see him in all of his fierceness and fury and beauty and holiness and purity, his eyes like fire blazing into your soul and knowing everything there is about you. Every thought that goes through your mind is going through his, and he knows what's on your heart. And so, with that in mind, you're thinking, I got to run. He knows everything about me. I mean, what if today somebody stood up and said, I just want you to know I got some special knowledge about Yurka. I'm going to tell you everything about Yurka. I would run. You already know enough. And yet, he loves us. It's the enemy that comes along and tries to remind you of your past and what you were and calls you to just live in that self-pity of why didn't I, and how could I, and why shouldn't I have. And you're all, always, always confronted by the enemies pressing down on you and pushing that guilt and shame in your face, but you have a Savior and Lord who knows everything about you, and we're told here He loves you. That's amazing. He stood right there next to John, seeing right through John, but he would stand with John. I got to go back to Psalm 89. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you might just want to mark Psalm 89. I'm, I'm getting close to the end here, but I, I want to read this because I didn't realize this is, in, until my study. This is, this is really an amazing thought that God has toward us, that he loves us. Psalm 89, verse 28, my steadfast love will keep him forever. What kind of love does God have? Steadfast, stubborn love, man. I love that. Steadfast, stubborn love. It doesn't change. My covenant will stand with him forever. I will establish his offspring forever. Who's the offspring of Jesus? Yeah, all those who believe on him. To those who believe on him, John says, God gave them the power to become what? Sons of God. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heaven if his children forsake my law. All right, hands up. How many of you have ever forsaken his law? Good, that's like 90% of us. If my children or if his children forsake my law and they don't walk according to my rules... If they violate my statutes and keep my commandments, them will I punish. I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. Paul is here for a moment. How many of you would say, "I, I have not kept the ways of the Lord? I have not kept the commandments of the Lord. He, God said, those would be punished with rod and stripes. Can you just run to the cross for a minute and see that what God said He would do, He did when He punished His Son? So then He said this, but, oh, I love that. But I will remove from Him I will not remove, I will not remove my steadfast love or be false to my witness. Though my children, they they run, they go the opposite way of righteousness, I'm going to punish that with rods and stripes, but, but I will not remove my steadfast love. we see this in Revelation, verse 5, verse 5, he loves us. And look at verse 5, Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood. Great is our God, gracious is our Lord. Then I turned, John said, to see a voice, verse 12, that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, One like the Son of Man. One of John's favorite terminologies, descriptions of Jesus is that he's the Son of Man, the one who came in the flesh, God incarnate to take upon our sin. And there he is standing among the lampstands, our sacrificial lamb who would take our sin, bear scars forever that would show that he would stand for us even though we were sinners because he sacrificed himself in a violent way when He was slain on the cross. Even John said, I looked up into heaven, and there He was like the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In order that we might do what? Free us from our sin. When you read through the book of Revelation, you find that there are those who have been washing their robes in the blood of Jesus Christ. Seems really antithetical that Robes washed in blood would come out white like snow. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? It's not only that the robes would be washed, but it's here something a little more distinct. We will be loosed from our sin. Similar to the imagery of Egypt when God told Moses, tell the people to shed blood, put it on a doorpost, I'll pass over them, and they'll be loosed from their slavery. You ever been to San Francisco? If you've been to San Francisco, it hasn't been a long time, but just go with me to the coast. And not everything else that's going on right now. Looking into the water near the bridge. And you see an island out there, don't you? Yeah, Alcatraz still there. Just a reminder of, of of a prison of days gone by. I don't know what it would have been like to have been a prisoner. But I've thought about it. I stood there and stared at Alcatraz and thought, what would it have been like to have your freedom taken away? And then have to go outside and look at the beautiful, just the beautiful scenery, the big city, the mountains behind it, the the, the glimmering ocean, and think, sure wish I was not here. John's on an island called Patmos. It's kind of the Alcatraz of his day. He's there for the preaching of the gospel. He can walk out, surely see that beautiful water, surely see across that water near the city of Ephesus, where he'd pastored, longingly, wanting not to be on Patmos, incarcerated, but back with the people of God. And on the Lord's day, he's worshiping. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure, he can see the separation. Which is why John, with great joy and glee, says, I want to tell you what my Lord said one day, one day, no more sea. He meant a lot there, but one thing for certain no more separation. We were like that with Christ. Guys, ladies, the greatest sight we'll ever see won't be a sunset over the Pacific our sunrise, over the Atlantic. It won't be some view from a mountain. It won't even be the first time you look into the face of your child or grandchild. The greatest view any of us could ever see is the face of Jesus Christ. This is why John in chapter 22 just writes it this way. We will see His face. We're going to look on the face of Jesus Christ in all of His shimmering glory. Like the brightness of the sun, we're going to see Him. And we're going to be with Him forever. Forever. Because we have been loosed from the separation that is sin that has kept us from our God in Jesus Christ. This revelation is not only about the fact that Jesus is coming back, but that he's brought us near. Look at me in verse 6. He's now made us the kingdom of priests to his God and Father, and to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. He has brought us near to make us, like Jesus, the faithful witness among those who are lost without Christ, to say, Look to Jesus. To do what the book of Revelation does for us it says, Look to Jesus we too now, a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests, have been brought near to Christ in order that we might help others be brought near to Christ. What for? That last passage. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I was reading John Phillips' commentary on this passage, and he used the story of Thomas Chalmers I'd never heard, never read. I knew who he was, and a you know, Scottish preacher of days gone by, but he was a preacher before he was saved. You can be a preacher and not be saved. Judas is proof of that. and you can be a church member and not be saved. Chalmers secretly wanted to be a mathematician so he began attending the University of Edinburgh and he was studying five days a week. He would do his pastoral duties two days a week and he wrote a little tract that said any pastor can discharge their duties in only two days. And most people think preachers only work one day and then they work too long on that day. Later he was converted pour his life into a glorious ministry. I know about his ministry. Some of you know about his ministry. But as he got older, someone found an old tract that he'd written before he was converted about his ministry only needing to take two days. And Chalmers, when he was confronted with that, was reminded of his life before Christ and what he had written, and then he made this statement, when I wrote that, I had forgotten the shortness of time, and I had forgotten the length of eternity. There's one thing I want to do through this study, and in this introduction this morning, I want to just drive home. So to do what I asked early in the message. I want us to live for Jesus. Because time is short. And eternity is long. And I want to live for Jesus. And I want to live for Jesus in such a way so that other people don't miss being able to look into the face of Jesus. And to be able to say, that's my Lord. That's the one who spoke everything to existence. He stepped out onto nothing and spoke everything into reality. That's the one who said, when man failed, that's, that's sinful. Start breaking, I'll give my life. And he did. That's the one who came from heaven, leaving glory, walking the dirty, nasty streets of this World, in order that He might be cr- treated so cruelly in my place and died for me. And He rose again. And he, now He's in heaven, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for me today. He's the one who is my bread of life. He's the water for my thirsty soul. He's the one who gives breath to my lungs. He's the one who gives me a reason for being up every single day. He's the reason for living life and looking forward to eternity. He's the reason I can look death square in the face and say, do your worst. He's already defeated you. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to see him face to face. Hey, tell me about heaven. Tell me about those streets. Tell me about those gates. Let me see the angels. Let me see the saints. Talk to me, Peter. Talk to me, Paul. Daniel, what was it like? What was it like, Noah? Tell me, Moses, what you went through. But I want to see Jesus. This is what this book is about. And this is what I want us to be about. I want us to be so enamored with Jesus Christ that we just make up our mind. Life's too short to be living for other stuff. For lesser things. I want us as a church to live for Jesus. So that when we say we're here to love Him, it's not just something that we say. It's something that we are constantly about. Would you join me in prayer? Some of you today have never even met Jesus. You're going to miss Jesus. You're going to make hell and you're going to miss Jesus. And you don't have to. And I would ask you to look to Jesus who took your place to free you from your sins by the shedding of His blood. And I would ask you to call on the Lord to save you. Uh, to, to just say, God, I'm a sinner. Would you do it? Just call it to God around and say, God, I'm a sinner. My sin Has separated me from you. I'm on a spiritual Alcatraz. I'll never escape if you don't rescue me today. Save me from my sin. Just ask Him to. Call it to God. Ask God, save me. I want to live for you. I want my life to absolutely be wrapped up in you. I want you to lead me. Save me. Did you ask God to save you today? I want to ask Christians just to be met with a reality again because you've been met with it so many times in your Christian life. No matter how long you've been saved, you met with this reality on different occasions that Jesus is worth it all. Living for Him is worth it all. No wonder Peter said, I compare the suffering now that I'm going through. Paul said it. I don't compare the suffering to be counted anything to the glory that one day will be revealed. Like, I don't know what you're going through. And not not to make light of it by any stretch, but Jesus said, you're a conqueror and I've conquered it already and you're in me. Live for me, live for me. I want to ask you to be a faithful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way you live. Be a faithful witness by what you talk about. Would you be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ? Father, your will be done. I pray, God, in these days to come, as we study the book that God, you've given us to reveal Jesus Christ and those things which will soon take place, that God, our hearts will be enraptured by you and in your Son, and that God will fall more deeply in love with Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up? We're going to have a time of invitation where we ask you to. Receive